0: So, this is our third week in our Peace on Earth series, and basically what we've been trying to do is reconcile the current world with the promise that we have seen every single Christmas, that it comes out of Luke chapter 2. You hear Linus say it on stage in the Charlie Brown Christmas story, and you've heard churches say it all the time. I'll read it to you one more time. We'll put it up on the screen. It's from Luke chapter 2, and it says this, the angels are singing, and they are are singing to the shepherds, suddenly a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth, peace to those on whom his favor rests. I know you've heard this passage before, you've heard it many Christmases, and the question that I always have when I come to this passage is, Well, when? When is the peace gonna come? The problem is that the glory to God is right now in the highest heaven. So that means the angels singing about God's glory, when they sing about God's peace, that must also be a present day thing and not a future day thing. In fact, that's the point of Christmas. The point of Christmas is that God is always going to be glorified, but now, because of Christmas, there's peace on the earth. Let me show you the other passage that is a famous uh, Christmas passage from Isaiah. It says this, For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. I know you know these verses, but Jesus, the one who was born in the manger, the one who fulfills this prophecy, is the one that we call Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. He is the Prince of Peace, and Christmas reminds us that his arrival was in the past. And so if the Prince of Peace has come, then peace has come. And then, Jesus at the end of his earthly ministry here, before he ascended back into heaven, he said to his followers these words, he said, peace I leave with you, my peace I give you. And the point of that is that Jesus, the Prince of Peace, Jesus, the person who lived so much a life of peace that when He is coming face to face with His accusers who are about to crucify Him on a cross, He can keep His mouth shut and just walk through it. I have no idea the level of peace that must exist inside a person's heart for them to walk through such torture and torment without fighting back. Jesus has so much peace in his life, and then he says to his followers, My peace I give you. We learned last week that we're supposed to be agents of peace. The problem is that it's difficult to be an agent of peace in this world. We live in a world where everything feels so divided and feels so unrest and feels so like there's such a lack of peace that for us to be people of peace in the midst of that world is a very difficult thing. And so I told you last week that if you heard last week's message, you had to follow it up with this week's message. And if you haven't yet heard last week's message, you need to go back at some point in time and listen to it because these two weeks form two halves of this peace dilemma. On the one hand, we have to recognize that we are people of peace who need to be living in peace with other people, but you can get the wrong idea from that. You can get the wrong idea that my life is supposed to just be passive, and I'm supposed to let other people do whatever they want so that I'm going to be passively living in peace with all of them. I'm not going to attack them. I'm not going to ever tell them they're wrong. I'm not going to ever say anything against them. I'm just going to be here living in peace. And that's partially true, but that's only half the story. You see, there's an active side of the story too. And the verse that we looked at last week that kind of shows us both sides of this is from Romans chapter 12. Paul says this, he says, if it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Now, granted, he says live at peace with everyone. And he says it's up to you part way. You've got something you need to do. You need to live a life of peace with other people. But you also have to realize there are limits. Sometimes it's not possible. And sometimes the peace doesn't depend on you. It depends on the other person involved. And so within those limitations, last week we talked about what it means to live at peace with other people as much as possible. And I use this term, welcoming. And I encourage you to be people who are welcoming to other people. Not just passively letting other people do their thing, but actually to to actively welcome other people into relationship with you. Sometimes those people are going to be outsiders. Sometimes those people are going to believe the wrong things. Sometimes those people are going to be doing the wrong things. But you need to welcome them somehow. That, That doesn't mean you welcome everybody unconditionally, because some people are going to be dangerous to you. And so you don't want to welcome those people. Or, or maybe some other people are going to be emboldened by your welcome to be dangerous to others. And so how do you deal with that? Where are the limits? Well, last week, if you only heard last week, you would think I'm just supposed to be passively welcoming to just about everybody. But today we're going to talk a little bit about the limits. Today we're going to talk a little bit about the, the perspective we need to have when it comes to being agents of peace. And I'll just lay it down for you. We aren't just supposed to be people of peace with others. We also need to be people of peace for others. And that's where things change. That's where things get a little bit more active. And so I want to start, really, this morning with the story of Joseph that you already know. It's the Christmas story about the guy who has to marry the woman who's pregnant with a baby that doesn't come from him. That guy, Joseph. Now, I know you're familiar with the story, but we're going to read some parts of it from the book of Matthew anyway. We're going to start in Matthew chapter 1. We'll put it up on the screen here. Matthew chapter 1, beginning in verse 18, it says, This is how the birth of Jesus the Messiah came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Now, if you don't add the last line, through the Holy Spirit, you have just the facts that everybody knew at the time. She was found to be pregnant. Now if you are a guy engaged to marry a woman and you know the relationship that you have had with that woman up until now and then you find out that that woman is found to be pregnant um, and she tells you that God just made it happen, you're probably going to doubt You're probably going to be faced with a dilemma of what should you do about this situation. This woman is claiming that somehow God has just miraculously made her pregnant and you now have to decide, are you going to marry her? Well, this is Joseph's dilemma. Keep reading. And it says this, because Joseph, her husband. Now, that's also important. We know that he was pledged to be married. We know that Mary was pledged to be married to him. But the word the text uses is husband. And that's highly important. It's because back in that day, engagement was unbreakable other than by divorce. Engagement was marriage. It's just that you didn't live together until after the engagement process was complete and the man had prepared a home for the woman to move into. Until that day happened, for the woman to be able to move into this man's home, they were legally, technically, basically married. They just didn't live together. And so that's why Joseph is called her husband here. Anyway, it says, because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law and did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. But after he had considered this, An angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said... And by the way, that is pretty much the only thing that could have happened for him to be convinced that, oh yes, this is a God thing that is happening now. An angel appears to him in a dream and says, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son and you are to give him the name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. Jesus in Hebrew is the word Joshua, which literally means he saves, Yahweh saves, God saves. And when you transliterate it into Greek, then it becomes Jesus, which then when you transliterate it through German and into English, we get Jesus. But that's how we end up with his name. The angel said, because he will save his people from their sins. But then as we keep reading, it says, all this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. Keep going. It says, when Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him and took Mary home as his wife. But he did not consummate the marriage until she gave birth to a son, And he gave him the name Jesus. Now, just to state the obvious right here at the beginning, okay, you have to realize that Jesus, the Prince of Peace, does not bring peace to Joseph. This is one of the most important principles that you find throughout Scripture, and we see it over and over again, and we see it definitely right here. Jesus, the Prince of Peace, is not bringing any peace into Joseph's life. You see, Joseph's life was fine. He was engaged to be married to this woman. He was going to make the house ready for her. And then all of a sudden, everything gets flip-turned upside down. All of a sudden with him now, the woman he's going to marry is pregnant, and an angel shows up and says, it's from the Holy Spirit, and you can't name him any name you want to name him. You have to give him this name because there's a special kid that this is going to be, and oh, by the way, the virgin will conceive and give birth. Which means this baby should be virgin born, which means just to ensure everything, even after you're married, you shouldn't consummate that marriage until this baby is born. Talk about inconvenience. Talk about stress. Talk about lack of peace. That is Joseph. And you might say, well, what can he do? I mean, he's, he's got to obey God here, Right? Well, did you notice that the angel didn't give him a command to take Mary home as his wife? The angel just said, don't be afraid to. I'm imagining Joseph still had the opportunity. He could have made a choice. He could have skipped out of that. He could have been like, eh, I'm, you know, okay, so fine. The Messiah is going to be born, but I don't want to really go through all of that effort. And he could have just skipped away, divorced Mary quietly like he had planned. But no, he says, if I have to encounter inconvenience, if I have to make sacrifices to bring the prince of peace in the world for other people, yeah, I'm going to do that. It gets even more detailed when you read in Matthew chapter 2 because of course you know the story the the magi from the east, the wise men they show up and then they do their thing giving the golden frankincense and myrrh to the baby but immediately after the wise men leave Joseph finds out that the wise men had told Herod that a king was born and that he was in Bethlehem and that they were going to go worship him and so now Joseph realizes that Herod the king knows that this baby is supposed to be the next king and Joseph I imagine was a little nervous about that but it gets worse because an angel shows up at joseph again it says this in matthew chapter 2 when they had gone when the magi the wise men had gone an angel of the lord appeared to joseph in a dream get up he said this one's not a oh don't be afraid to this is a no get it done now kind of statement get up he said take the child and his mother and escape to egypt stay there until i tell you for herod is going to search for the child to kill him so he got up it Took the child and his mother during the night and left for Egypt where he stayed until the death of Herod. And so was fulfilled what the Lord had said through the prophet. Out of Egypt I called my son. Just make a list of all of the inconveniences that Joseph has to deal with all of the stressors, all of the lack of peace that he has to encounter. This baby is supposed to be born in Bethlehem, which means Joseph has to move from Nazareth down to Bethlehem so this baby can be born in the right place. This baby is going to be born of Mary, the woman that Joseph was supposed to be married to. This baby is supposed to be born of a virgin, the woman that Joseph was supposed to be married to. And so he has to delay the consummation of their marriage until after this baby is born everything about this situation is just inconvenience on inconvenience up until the point where joseph has to leave his home country to go to egypt so that this baby can be sheltered for a while joseph is experiencing stress and inconvenience and hardship so that mary and the baby can experience as much peace as he can provide for them The Prince of Peace isn't bringing any peace into Joseph's life. Exactly the opposite. And what we learn in this story is that God's plan for peace is often different from my plan for peace. My plan for peace generally focuses on me on the peace that I want in my life, the peace I want in my relationships with other people. But God's plan for peace sometimes takes a person through a process of absolute no peace so that peace can be bought for other people. And this isn't just Joseph. This has happened time and time again throughout history with God's people. One of my favorite passages in scripture is in genesis chapter 50 verse 20 but to give you a a background to that story there's another guy named joseph This Joseph is the one who was given an amazing technicolor dream coat. This is the Joseph who has amazing dreams that he's going to be in charge of the whole ancient world basically. And his brothers and sisters and family members are all going to bow down to him. He has these amazing dreams and his brothers don't like it so they sell him as a slave into Egypt. Joseph goes to Egypt and then he has hardship after hardship after hardship while he's there until finally God puts him in a position of authority and he is able to manage the country in such a way that they have food when the rest of the ancient world does not. And so then his brothers come and they're looking for food and Joseph could take revenge on them, but he doesn't. He provides for their peace by giving them food. In fact, invites them to come to live in the land until the Pharaoh dies, until the father dies. And the brothers and sisters are nervous now. Joseph, are you going to take revenge on us? And Joseph says these words at the end of the book of Genesis to his brothers when they are afraid of him taking revenge. He says this, You intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. You intended to harm me but God intended for you to intend to harm me. You intended to harm me, but God intended for you to sell me into slavery. God intended for me to face all the hardships that I faced with Potiphar's wife and the dungeons and all that stuff. You intended to harm me, but God intended for me to walk through harm after harm after harm after harm after harm till finally getting to the place of influence so that many lives could be saved. You intended a small thing. God intended even more hardship than you ever intended. Because God had intended even more glorious things than you could ever imagine. See, the pattern of Scripture is frequently a human being walking through a time of difficulty so that other people could experience great blessings. Jesus lived that out, and Jesus taught it. Before he was crucified, he said these words to his followers about what it really means to be great in his kingdom. He says, not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant, and whoever wants to be first must be your slave, just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve, and to give His life as a ransom for many. This picture is clear in Scripture. Jesus, the Prince of Peace, Himself doesn't experience a life of peace. Experiences a life that walks through hardship, eventually sacrifice, so that many others could experience peace. Joseph didn't experience peace. The other Joseph didn't experience peace. But God's plan for peace worked through them so that many people could experience peace as a result. And Jesus is the most clear example of all that. Listen, when we're talking about being agents of peace in this world, we need to be agents of a peace that goes deep. It goes all the way into the heart of God for people. And so I've got a lot more Bible passages to read, but I've got a couple big ones right now that I kind of want you to just soak in. They're a little bit long. There's one from Ephesians, and there's one from 2 Corinthians. They're a little bit long here, and I I just want you to to soak in them. I'm going to read them. You're going to read them too, and we're going to just let God speak to us. Here's what it says in Ephesians. It says, Therefore, remember that formerly you who were Gentiles by birth and called uncircumcised by those who call themselves the circumcision, which is done in the body by human hands, remember that at that time you were separate from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel and foreigners to the covenants of the promise, without hope, without God in the world. But now, in Christ Jesus you who were far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ for he himself is our peace who has made the two groups one and has destroyed the barrier the dividing wall of hostility by setting aside in his flesh the law with its commands and its regulations his purpose whether you were an insider or an outsider, in Paul's day, whether you were a Jew or a Gentile, it doesn't matter because Jesus came into this world to break down the walls of hostility between people, to give all of us access to the same Heavenly Father by the same Spirit, to bring us together into a family of peace, one new humanity made out of the divided humanity. Jesus desired to bring people together under the Father as one in peace. Now go to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. We read this. All of this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of Reconciliation. That God was reconciling the world to Himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. And He has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. All of this is from God, who through Christ created peace on this earth, between humans and God, so that we could have peace between humans and other humans. And God has given to you and to me, those of us who are in this family, the ministry and the message of this reconciliation. And so we say, so I say to you, be reconciled to God. And we say to the world, be reconciled to God. And the first thing that we need to be when it comes to being agents of peace in this world is to be agents of peace with those who are far from God. Agents of peace for those who are far from God. What we just read in Ephesians is about how God's main plan is to bring peace into this world. What we just read from 2 Corinthians is that God's main plan is to reconcile people to himself. And what we read in both of those passages is undeniable that you and I are agents of that peace. Listen, I know you feel a little bit restless with some of the stuff going on in the world around us. But guess what? That is normal. A world around us without peace is normal. Jesus came to undo normal. Jesus came to change normal. Jesus came to undo all of that stuff and to make something brand new. He came to bring peace to those who are far away and those who are near. And he has given to us that ministry of reconciliation. Listen, as you go from this place today, I want you to have so thoroughly in your mind that the true message of Christmas is that all of this unrest that is going on around us in this world can be solved by people who are willing to submit themselves to Jesus. And I'm not talking about people who are willing to submit themselves to some version of Jesus they learned in the church, or some version of Jesus that some other dude told them, or some version of Jesus that maybe they found on Facebook. I'm talking about we are living in a world where people could experience peace with God if they were to submit themselves to the real Jesus, the Jesus who sacrifices so that others can have peace, and the Jesus who calls us to be agents of peace with Him. So listen. In your personal relationships be an agent of peace some of the people you know are far from God and you can be the voice of peace in their lives for them to come to know God some of the people who aren't in your actual sphere of relationship are in your sphere of influence and some of those people just need a spiritual conversation Some of those people just need you to step up and say, hey, listen, I was at church on Sunday, and my pastor was talking about how God is making peace on this earth. Do you think that's possible? And now you're in a conversation with someone about whether or not God can bring peace on this earth in a question that everybody wants to talk about right now. Oh, I don't think we're ever going to have peace on this earth. A spiritual conversation. Some of your friends need actually for you to tell them how to have peace with God. Some of the people you know just need a spiritual conversation to open it up for them. And some people you know just need for you to demonstrate what Jesus looks like so they have a glimpse of the possibility of peace in this world with someone who knows God. We need to be agents of peace. For those who are far from God. But there are a couple other things that I want to draw your attention to because, you know, we need to be agents of peace for some other people too. And and the other people are much more difficult for us to do. I mean, it's hard for us to share our faith with people. You talk to any Christian and ask them, you know, are you good at sharing your faith? And most Christians are going to be like, I don't know. I don't even know who to talk to. But it gets even more difficult when we serve as agents of peace for the other things that Jesus was an agent of peace over. And the next one is that we should be agents of peace for those who don't deserve it. We should be agents of peace for those who don't deserve it. There's a passage I wanted to show you last week, but I didn't have enough time to. And I don't have enough time this week, but it's important enough. I'm going to show it to you anyway. It's from the book of Luke. And it's just absolutely fascinating. Last week I gave you this really good cop-out phrase. And I call it a cop-out phrase because even though it's true, it's a phrase that can be abused. It's a phrase that can be an excuse for people. The phrase was, welcome those who welcome Jesus. And so I wanted to encourage you to welcome anyone as long as they were willing to welcome Jesus, as long as they were welcoming to Jesus. But it's an easy cop-out phrase because you can say, oh, well, that person isn't a Christian and so I don't have to bother with them. Or that person, that's not very welcoming to Jesus. That person isn't acting like Jesus. I don't have to, I don't have to be welcoming to them either. And so it's an easy cop-out phrase. So I needed to show you this passage this week at least. It's from Luke chapter 9 and it's about a group of people who did not welcome Jesus and what Jesus did about it. Are you ready? Here it is. The group of people did not welcome Jesus because he was heading to Jerusalem and they didn't like Jerusalem. So I'll put it up on the screen here. It says this, the people there in this town in Samaria did not welcome him because he was heading for Jerusalem. And when the disciples, James and John saw this, they asked, Lord, do you want us to call fire down from heaven to destroy them? But Jesus turned and rebuked them. a group of people who don't welcome jesus last week i told you you're supposed to welcome the people who welcome jesus and so you can use that as an excuse to ignore the people who don't welcome jesus but here here's a group of people who don't welcome jesus and the disciples are like ah, i've wanted to get these samaritans my whole life jesus jesus we did it you did it over sodom a long time ago um, can we do it now and James and John, they're called sons of thunder. And I'm wondering if they might have gotten this nickname because they wanted to just bring down the, the thunder, bring down the lightning or whatever it was uh, from heaven down onto the Samaritans. But they're like, they're like, Jesus, can we call down fire? Please just say the word. You let Peter walk on water. Can we bring down the fire? And Jesus says, guys, shut your mouths. We're walking to Jerusalem. Now, Jesus doesn't say anything about the people in Samaria deserving any punishment. He doesn't say anything about the people in Samaria deserving good treatment. He just blanketly says, you guys are thinking totally wrong. The question isn't what excuse do I have to welcome people or to punish people. The question is something completely different. So they don't welcome Jesus. So what? We still are people of peace. For them, Jesus' goal, his heart, his, his mission is that peace would come to everyone. And if it takes longer to get to someone, so what? We're still going to hold out hope that the peace eventually gets to them. So we need to be agents of peace even for those people who don't deserve it. A quick story. Um, My dad, uh, he's a pastor of a church out in California and um, a number of years ago they finally had raised up enough money to buy some land and they were getting ready to build their first building. And so they were building their first building, but the city of Apple Valley, Apple Valley, California, there are no apples in there. It is a valley kind of, but anyway. So Apple Valley, California uh, required my dad's church to pay a lot of money to bring sewer from its most recent area, wherever it was, under the street to where they were going to be building their church. And that was an expensive process. You had to dig things underneath the street, try to not destroy the street itself, And that was a big process. Bringing in sewer and water was incredibly expensive for the church. And they were trying to get out of it because they were right next to a big housing development. And they're like, you know, the city should bring it in because there are all these houses here that are going to be built very soon. And so as a result, the city is going to be benefiting all these houses. It shouldn't be all up to us. But the city said, nope, you're a nonprofit. We're not going to get any real estate taxes from you at all. And so we're just going to require you to do this. And so they did. And so my dad's church had to pay all this money to move the sewer and the water lines to where they were building their church building. And immediately after they finished moving the sewer and water lines, guess what happened? Right after they spent all that money, right after the sewer lines were moved, right after they started building on their church, the lot next to them sold. Because of course, now that the water is being taken care of, the lot next to them is definitely going to sell. And it sold to a Hindu temple. And they began building a Hindu temple literally next door to my dad's church. There's a part of me that was like, well, they don't deserve I mean, my dad's church paid all this extra money for this water thing. And it's one thing for, it's one thing for them to, to build right next to us, but clearly they made that decision because part of the costs were already taken care of. And there was just a part of me that was like, oh, come on, but, the, but we're a church. I mean, I would feel weird if another church built right next to us, but it was extra weird that a Hindu temple was building right next door to my dad's church. And there was a part of me that was just like, I don't, it, doesn't feel, it doesn't feel exactly right, but, but I'm supposed to be an agent of peace for everybody. Even the people who don't welcome Jesus. And there's no reason for my dad's church to start picketing the building next door to them. There's no reason for my dad's church to tell the city, hey, listen, we paid all this extra money. You need to put some sort of fines on them or somehow recoup some cost for us. There was no reason for my dad's church to say, hey, listen, we should block the building and construction of this. There's no reason for my dad to go knock on the neighbor's door periodically and say, hey, by the way, I just want to remind you, we think you're going to hell. There's no reason for my dad to do those sorts of things. Why? Because we are are supposed to be agents of peace to everybody in the hope that one of these days they might discover the peace that is possible for them to have with God through Jesus. So I have no idea what the relationship is between my dad and his neighbor right now but I know that I no longer feel e about it. I'm like, man, this is a great opportunity for us to try to share the message of Jesus with people who really need to hear it. We need to be agents of peace for people who don't deserve it. I got two more, though. Um, and these ones are a little bit more difficult. But before I get there, I want to read to you Matthew chapter 5, which is really pretty powerful. Matthew chapter 5, verse 44 through 45 says this. Jesus says, I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be children of your Father in heaven. He causes his Son to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. So because God cares for you and your enemies, you should too. But if if God cares for me and my enemies, That means God cares for literally everyone. And there are a bunch of people in this world that God cares for that people aren't caring for. We can call them outsiders. And Jesus would call us to be people of peace for the outsiders. There's this story I... I looked at not too long ago from Matthew, the story of Jesus entering the temple and clearing it out. And so I decided I would read it to you from the Gospel of Mark. We'll put it up here. In Mark 11, it says this, On reaching Jerusalem, Jesus entered the temple courts and began driving out those who were buying and selling there. He overturned the tables of the money changers and the benches of those selling doves and would not allow anyone to carry merchandise through the temple courts. You've heard this story if you've been in churches very much because churches like to talk about this story because it gives the church the rationale behind all the kinds of restrictions they have with regard to the the actual church building. You know, don't, don't run in the church building because we're supposed to treat the church building with honor. Jesus did this whole story where he was mad at the people who were buying and selling things. We don't want to bring things of the world into the place of the church. And, and people come up with all kinds of excuses about what this passage means. I think we should just pay attention to what Jesus says the passage means. So keep reading, and we'll see what he says next. As he taught them, he said, it, is it not written... My house will be called a house of prayer for all nations, but you have made it a den of robbers. The contrast is not, my house shall be empty of commerce, but you have put commerce in it. The contrast is, my house shall be a house of prayer for all nations, and you have done something, a den of robbers. You're you're stealing from, so people come up with ideas of what the den of robbers thing is. I did a whole message on that a while ago last year, this past year, as we did this passage from the book of Matthew. I'm not going to get into that. What I am going to do is just share with you what the, what the place of prayer for all nations really means. That comes from Isaiah. I'll put that up here too. Let's take a look at it. It says, And foreigners who bind themselves to the Lord to minister to Him, to love the name of the Lord, and to be His servants, all who keep the Sabbath without desecrating it, and who hold fast to my covenant, these I will bring to my holy mountain and give them joy in my house of prayer. Keep going. It says, Then their burnt offerings... And sacrifices will be accepted on my altar, for my house will be called a house of prayer for all nations. Jesus specifically is quoting a passage from Isaiah where Isaiah said, The foreigners who want to worship God are welcome to do so. The foreigners, the the outsiders, those people need to be brought in, and space needs to be cleared out for them to have a place too. In other words, Jesus is saying, I am the prince of peace for the insiders and for the outsiders. And so if you want to think they're outsiders and you want to keep them out and do your little commerce thing here, no, we're clearing out the commerce thing so the outsiders can come in. My house will be a house of prayer for all nations. And then there's one last, one last way that we're supposed to be agents of peace for other people. And is that we're supposed to be agents of peace For those who are burdened. And this is is interesting. Because what we've seen so far in Jesus is that Jesus is the one who's going to provide peace between us and God. And he teaches people about that. And what we've seen about Jesus is that Jesus also is a person who shows grace to people who don't deserve it. And he teaches people about that. And we also see that Jesus is the person who will take action to change a situation that is not producing peace for a group of people. Sometimes that's called being an activist. Jesus is taking action. To change a situation that is not bringing peace to a group of people that should have peace. And now his activism is turning into the way he talks to those in power about how they are using their power. Jesus says we need to be agents of peace for those who are burdened. And then he specifically calls out the people who are placing the burdens on their shoulders. Let me show you. This is Jesus talking in Matthew chapter 23. Jesus says, "Woe to you teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites! You shut the door of the kingdom of heaven in people's faces. You yourselves do not enter, nor will you let those enter who are trying to." He says, "There are people who want to come to God, and the teachers of the law are creating artificial barriers and blockades and saying, "Nope, can't do it. You can't come in unless you are like this. You can't come in unless you do this thing. You can't come in unless you say you believe this thing." You cannot come in and Jesus Jesus is like, there are people who want to enter into the place of peace, and those who are the gatekeepers are keeping them away. And Jesus says, no, you're not going to burden people like that anymore. You have to let them in. Keep reading. Jesus says this next one. He says, woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You travel over land and sea to win a single convert. And when you've succeeded, you make them twice as much a child of hell as you are. I just love Jesus' use of, of that word there, a child of hell. He says, you block some people, but then you go searching through the world to find anyone you can shape into being like you. And then when you find them, you bring them in, and then you shape them to be exactly like you. And Jesus says, I'm sick of that, and I'm calling it out. You people are children of hell. Now, let's just be honest with each other. If someone put that on Twitter, they would get a lot of of feedback. You know, If someone were to put that on Facebook, you're a child of hell. They would get a lot of pushback on that one. I mean, some people might agree with them, but a bunch of other people might push back on that. Let's just be honest with this. Jesus is not speaking peacefully when he says these words. The Prince of Peace is not using peaceful words to say the things he's saying. Why in the world would he be doing that? It's because there's some burdened people that he wants peace to reach. And as long as the gatekeepers are standing in the way, the peace can't reach them look at this next one he says he says woe to you teachers of the law and Pharisees you hypocrites you give a tenth of your spices mint, dill and cumin but you've neglected the more important matters of the law justice, mercy and faithfulness you should have have practiced the latter without neglecting the former you blind guides you strain out a gnat but swallow a camel Jesus says you've done this tiny detail of law obedience but you have forgotten mercy You've forgotten justice. Jesus wants us to be agents of peace for those who are burdened religiously and those who are burdened socially under something that is oppressive enough to qualify as injustice. Or just understanding that sometimes mercy shows up Even when justice is not the question, mercy shows up just when you want to show someone love, just when you want to find a person who is not at peace and bring a little peace into their lives. And then it goes all in by the time you get to Matthew chapter 25. Jesus says this, he says, then speaking of himself in the future, he will say to those on his left, depart from me, you who are accursed. Into the eternal fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry, and you gave me nothing to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me nothing to drink. I was a stranger, and you did not invite me in. I needed clothes, and you did not clothe me. Put that up there. I was sick and in prison, and you did not look after me. They will also answer, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or needing clothes or sick or in prison and did not help you? And he will reply, Truly, I tell you, whatever you did not do for one of the least of these, you did not do for me. I've told you this many times before. I read this passage and I generally worry. I'm like, have I done enough? Have I visited the, the people in prison enough? Have I, have I helped the poor enough? Have I done all these things? And, and truly, uh, the, this story in context tells me that the people who did it right didn't know they did it right. The people who did it wrong didn't know they did it wrong. The people who did it right, they say to Jesus, when did we do these things? And Jesus says, whenever you did it for other people, you did it for me. But the question is not, have I kept a list And have I counted the number of times that I have helped out someone else tangibly? The question is, is my heart so predisposed to care for the people around me, so predisposed to bring peace to the people around me, that I do it naturally and I don't even notice when I'm doing it right? But Jesus does. Is my heart already predisposed to bringing peace to other people? That's that's the thing. But those people whose hearts are not, they don't do it. And Jesus says, depart from me into eternal fire. That's pretty harsh. Listen, I want to try to bring this down to something simple and not just leave it as a a major burden on our lives and on our hearts. It comes down to this. If Jesus is the Prince of Peace and I'm going to follow Him, if Jesus is my Prince of Peace, then the kingdom we are in is a kingdom of peace. The kingdom that we are about is a kingdom of peace. Peace first with me and God, then me with other people, then me for other people. Us For other people. And so if we are in the kingdom of God. The kingdom of peace. It is our job. It is our mission. To spread this peace to other people. And sometimes that's going to be in the way I treat other people. And sometimes that's going to be in the way I look at other people. And sometimes that's going to be in the activity that I do. To change the circumstances for other people. And sometimes it's going to be about the way I talk. About the power structures in this world that prevent peace from reaching other people. Listen. This isn't easy. The thing about being a peacemaker is that peacemakers generally also make enemies. There's some people in this world who thrive when there isn't peace. There's some people in this world who get a whole lot of money when there isn't peace. There's some people in this world who get a lot of power when there isn't peace. See, if the entire world was at peace, then the Prince of Peace would be the one in charge. And quite frankly, I, I think I should be in charge a lot of the time. I think that it makes more, it's more fun when I have all the wealth and the resources. And we live in that kind of world. But I'll tell you what. We've been given a mission to step into peace. That doesn't mean that we have been given the mission of always being the peaceful ones. There's a passage that is in Galatians that I want to take you to now. Jump to that. I want to put that up on the screen. And it's just this powerful, powerful passage. It says, let us not become weary in doing good. For at the proper time, we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, especially to those who belong to the family of believers. And of course, we could add, especially to those who will become part of the family of believers and those who may become part of the family of believers and those who might never, but we're almost there with them. But let's not grow weary in doing good. And so I'll put it to you this way, as a thing for you to kind of take home that is simultaneously a challenge and also an encouragement. It goes like this, if my sacrifice brings others peace, that's a sacrifice I'll make. If my sacrifice brings others peace, that's a sacrifice I'll make. And the question, of course, is I don't know if I can do that. I don't know if I'm strong enough to do that. I don't know if I, can, if I can endure the unrest in my life while I'm bringing other people peace. I don't know if I can handle that. Well, I'll tell you what. Over the last couple of years, if I, if I have at all, in the stress and hardship of the past couple of years, if I have become a person of greater peace or a person who is more willing to bring peace to the lives of others, then it's worth it. And I feel that way. But Paul would say in Galatians that we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. And Jesus would say in Matthew 25, enter into my rest, you who have done this for other people, you can enjoy all of eternity with me. And I kid you not, the promises of God are far more valuable to me than the presence of convenience in my day. I read through Scripture, I see guys like Joseph, and I see the other Joseph, and I see Jesus, and I see Paul, and I see Peter, and I see Mary, and I see all of these people in Scripture who time and time again made their own sacrifices so that I could experience peace. And I want to walk in Jesus' footsteps and be that for others. I'm 100% convinced that as I walk this journey, God is going to put peace in my heart too because I see that in Jesus. I'm 100% convinced as I walk this journey, God is going to put hardship in my life too, because I've seen that in Jesus. But I'm 100% convinced that as I walk this journey, God is going to bring peace into the halo of lives around me. And He's going to bring me into an eternity where I will reap a harvest if I have not given up. And I'm looking forward to those things. And I hope you are too and this Christmas season let us embrace it fully let's be people of peace with others with God but also for others let me pray for you thanks for listening to this message from Lafayette Community Church we are all about helping you live the life you were made to live God made you God loves you and his plans for you are perfect So if you are anywhere near Lafayette, Indiana, join us this weekend at one of our worship gatherings. And wherever you are, check us out online at lafayettecommunitychurch.com.